As I love that song, and it's especially appropriate that we're singing it today. Uh, we've been looking these last few weeks at the seven last words of Jesus from the cross. And on the cross, he says seven different statements. Today, what we're going to look at is actually just one word in the original language that he utters from the cross. But it is a word that for us changes everything. So I'm excited to get into that with you. Look at John 19. That's where we're going to be. Let me set up the word of Jesus with a different word, another word. Here's my word that'll help us understand his word. Entropy. Are you familiar with this word? Entropy. It comes from the world of uh, physics and chemistry. It's central to the second law of thermodynamics, which, as we all know, says that a, in a closed system, entropy always increases because systems naturally move towards thermal equilibrium, as you know. Oh, we're going to get real nerdy today. Yeah. Um, no, it's just a fancy way of saying this. The energy of anything is going to dissipate over time. Does that make sense? It's going to disperse if it's not hindered from doing so. So simple illustration of this is like a pot of boiling water. If you turn off the burner, eventually that pot is going to return to room temperature because the energy will all be gone, right? Same thing with like a fire. If you stop feeding it fuel, it will burn out because there's, because of entropy. That's entropy at work. Even something as powerful as our sun is, in, is constantly engaged in this entropy, in the process of uh, reaching thermal equilibrium. And what that means for our sun is it's using up all of the hydrogen, it's burning it all up, and eventually it's going to be gone. And at that point, it's going to expand to be a red giant star that's even going to envelop like the earth, which won't be good for us. Uh, we only have like 5 billion years left, so don't make any plans after that because it's coming. But that's entropy. It works always. It is a law a law of thermodynamics. It's fascinating. I also think it's a really good metaphor for life. Have you noticed this? It is hard to hang on to the good stuff. Have you noticed that? Like you clean your house and one week later, what is true? It's filthy again. You got to clean it again. Or like you work really hard, like training for that half marathon and you get in the best shape of your life and you run the half marathon and then you stop working hard. And two months later, you're walking up a flight of stairs and you're winded. Entropy. It, chaos creeps in. The good stuff seems to dissipate, kind of like entropy. It's not just true for us physically. This is true for us spiritually as well. Purpose, connection, love, joy, all these things that we long for. Does it feel sometimes like they're just like slipping away out of your grasp? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt that moment where you are so deeply connected to God? You just, you, you know he exists and you know that he deeply loves you. And it's like that spiritual mountaintop experience what comes next? Entropy. Why is that? Well, the Bible gives us an answer. The Bible says that entropy, spiritual entropy at least, is the result of sin. We say this a lot. We're broken. We are sinful. And when we say that, what we're saying is this, is that the trajectory of our life is away from the good stuff, right? 
That's the nature of it. The trajectory of our life is away from life and towards death, towards chaos, towards uh, uh, unhealth. That is the nature of where we're headed. God predicted this, actually, in Genesis 3. You, you may be familiar with the story. Adam and Eve, they sin for the first time, and then we commonly say that God curses them. That's not actually true. God curses the serpent. God curses the ground. But with Adam and Eve, he just kind of explains, this is what's going to happen to you. This is now what your life is going to be about. This good stuff that you long for, the good stuff that you're experiencing right now, it is going to start to disperse and slip away. Things are going to trend downward. You're going to be constantly fighting to hold on to it. And it's fascinating how he describes it. It's different to each of them. To Eve, he talks a lot about relationships. He says, uh, you know, that there's going to be pain in childbirth. And we understand that doesn't just mean the physical pain, but it's like the emotional, spiritual pain of just this institution of family, right? And he even says to her that there's going to be an unhealthy power dynamic between you and your husband. You're going to desire him and he's going to control you because of it. And if you step back and look at the last few thousand years of history, gosh, family has been a very painful subject for most of us. And gender inequality is present on every page of the history books. With Adam, he talks about something else. He talks about purpose and work. He says, the earth is going to work against what you try to accomplish. He says that ground is actually going to be against you and it's going to cause you great pain just to have any sort of success on earth. And that's not just about physical pain either. He's saying you're going to work hard and you're going to struggle to accomplish things and you're going to get frustrated and then you're going to die and you're going to turn back into dust. Entropy. The good stuff is going to dissipate and even with uh, like uh, on the cellular level, The good stuff, life is dissipating, but it also happens with our purpose and with our work that success and a meaningful life that we all want, it feels a little bit elusive. So one way to think about sin, to think about brokenness, to think about the problem with humanity is that because of our sin, we as the human race, just like creation, we are trapped in a sort of spiritual entropy where the good things are dissolving. There's a constant degradation of the things that we want. I don't know about you, but like sometimes I'm like, life should be getting better, right? I mean, I've been at this thing for 44 years. I should figure, I'll figure it out tomorrow. That actually flies in the face of the laws of nature and of the spiritual laws. The second law of thermodynamics teaches us this, that in a system What animates it and what gives it energy, unless some outside force acts upon it, will always slip away and dissipate. And that feels to me like a pretty good description of the human race. You know, politics, relationships, religion, business, culture, like these are things that always get corrupted, always, because sinful humans We're trapped in spiritual entropy. And unless something outside of the system acts, the goodness is going to continue to slip away. Do you feel that in your life? Do you feel like that? Like you're kind of trying to hold on to that impossible burden of just sustaining the good stuff? 
From Genesis 3 forward, God has said, listen, this is what brokenness is. This is, this is sin. It's creeped in now. Today from the cross, Jesus is going to say something different. That's what I want us to look at. John chapter 19. We're going to pick up where Mark left off last week. Uh, Jesus has been on the cross for a while and he has uh, prayed for our forgiveness. He has promised paradise to this thief dying next to him. He's established a new family for his mother. Uh, He's cried out in the anguish of abandonment. He's expressed his humanity. He's asked for a drink because he was thirsty. And now John is going to record what in his gospel is the final word of Jesus from the cross. Now, Luke has, has him saying one, after, one more thing after this. We'll look at that next week. But John ends it here in chapter 19, verse 28. He writes, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now in English, we've taken something and uh, turned it into a sentence. But this actually, what he says in this moment in the original language in Greek, it's just one word. We've made it, it is finished. But in the Greek, it is just the word teleo. Teleo, he says. And he bows his head and gives up his spirit. It's a word that means accomplished, fulfilled, complete. Uh, Archaeologists have actually found this word on like ancient receipts of sale, like on uh, papyrus, like at the bottom, to show the debt has been paid in full, they would write teleo, that there's no more debt to be paid. It's done. Now, the relevant question for us, obviously, this is a meaningful word. What is he talking about? What is finished? What is completed? What is fulfilled in this moment? Let's go back to our discussion of entropy. Um, I told you we were going to get nerdy today. Do you know how the universe is going to end? Have you ever looked this up? I have. Uh, I'm fascinated by this stuff. There's three major theories of how the universe is going to end. Two probably won't happen, so I'm not going to explain them to you. But the one that probably will happen uh, is connected to this idea of entropy because the whole universe is experiencing the second law of thermodynamics. Um, What will happen is in about 22 million years, our universe that is constantly expanding and cooling will reach room temperature. Right? It will reach whatever that state of thermal equilibrium is, which means all of the universe, all of the energy in the universe will be used up. And scientists call this heat death. It basically, just, it means that the universe is just going to grind to a stop. It becomes this cold, lifeless place. Now, the good news for us is as believers, we've known ever since the book of Revelation was written, Revelation 21, is that God's not going to wait 22 billion years. He's going to interrupt it before that, and he's going to create what the Bible tells us is a new heaven and a new earth. And when John, the apostle, wrote that in Revelation 21, he didn't know anything about the second law of thermodynamics, but had he known, he would have known God would have to interrupt it. He would have to create a new heaven and a new earth because there's no other way to circumvent the laws of thermodynamics. They're laws for a reason. And so the end of this thing is God interrupts it and recreates a new universe with new laws because he has to. The universe is caught 
in inescapable entropy. Let's think about you and I for a second. Our situation is not all that different from the universe's. Our spiritual entropy, because of our sin and our brokenness, it only ends one way. Heat death. Like, eventually, we will be fully consumed by sin, injustice, abuse, control, manipulation, death, separated from the only thing that is the source of goodness, which is God. Unless something from outside of time steps into our system and changes it, that's how it ends. Genesis 3, you can't fight entropy. From the cross, Jesus says, Teleo. It's different. It's been completed. And when Jesus says that, what he is saying is that right now in this moment, something has forever changed. That external thing that needed to be injected into the system so that it doesn't just end the way that it obviously will end, just happened. There was nothing in the system that could have accomplished it. No human could do it. No religion, no political ideology could have accomplished it. Just like with entropy, the system can't overcome the system. Something external has to act. This was the moment that it happened. What did he do in that moment? One of my favorite descriptions of it comes from Ephesians 2. The Apostle Paul is wrestling with this, and he's, he's explaining to us the situation and then what Jesus did. He says, Ephesians 2, verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He doesn't mean you were actually dead. He means you were caught in entropy. You're going to end in death. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. We were lifeless because of our sin. We were trapped. We couldn't escape the spiritual entropy that's constantly nipping at our heels, knocking on the door. And then, verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in, our, in transgressions, it is by grace you've been saved. So the thing in this moment that forever changed the system that we were caught in, the thing that Jesus finished, completed, injected into our spiritual entropy, is grace. It's his mercy. It's just one word, but it changes everything. It's just one word, but it is this promise that God is not going to leave us as we are. He's going to give us what we don't deserve. And that's really good news. But really, it's only good news if you think you need to change. Um, you know, if you still think you can handle it, you still think you can overcome entropy in your life, if you still think you can make it work, then this one word is a really hard word. This is the word that will trip you up if you think you have a handle on your life. That's why Paul adds this at the end of this passage. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. 
And he's pushing us here. He's pushing us to realize there was no solution coming. This illusion that we hold on to that oh, I'm going to wake up tomorrow, it'll be better tomorrow. No. There was no solution coming from ourselves trapped in this system. We humans had zero answers. And when Jesus says from the cross, it is finished, I have finished it for you. It is just a gift from me to you. You had nothing to add. It is just grace. It is undeserved. It is mercy. And it is finished. And that one word, teleo, strips us of our illusions that we could ever fix it ourselves. This is why the Bible calls Jesus the stumbling block, right? Because we love this idea of grace. We love this idea of mercy until we understand what it says about our own powerlessness. And then it's kind of insulting, right? Here's how I'd apply this today. Jesus' word, it is finished. It means that we needed something we couldn't do for ourselves. Let's not miss that. Think about your efforts to be a good person. Do you ever feel like just powerless to overcome sin? Like, do you ever feel this? I feel this all the time. Do you ever feel yourself drawn to things that you know are bad for you, but you just can't stop feeling drawn to them? Well, that, that's because you are actually powerless on your own. Think about your relationships. Like, we all want the same thing. We just want to be loved. So why do we all struggle with loneliness? Why do we struggle to hang on to the love and the connection that we feel, even with somebody who's like in our life, they're our person, but we're just struggling to hang on to that connection and it keeps slipping away? Oh, that's because we're powerless to really love. Think about your goals. We want the same sort of life. We want a life of joy, of meaning, of purpose, of peace. You ever feel like you're kind of chasing those things, like grabbing at them? Do you feel what God says in Genesis 3, that the ground is working against you? Well, that's because we're powerless to find that purposeful life on our own. Or just think about your health. Like, think about life itself. Um, have you felt fragile yet? Maybe you haven't. Um, like, I don't know, maybe you're in peak physical condition. Um, but you know it's not going to last, don't you? You know, like there's going to be a day, uh, this happened to me, where like you get out of the shower and you're drying your head and you hurt your neck so badly <laughs> that you can't look to the left for a week. And you have to explain to people, oh yeah, I hurt my neck. And they're like, how'd you hurt your neck? And you're like, I was drying my head. I don't... <laughs> Entropy. There's nothing you can do to reverse it. Death is coming for us all. You know, I think the struggle and the powerlessness that we feel in these areas of life that we long for but we can't seem to grab, it's pointing us to this moment on the cross. It's pointing us to this moment where we come face to face with our powerlessness and where we either we receive mercy and grace that is not from ourselves or we descend into death. It's just a gift it leaves no room for boasting. It leaves no room for the illusion that we can handle it. And we need to lean into that because there's life in that. And we need to acknowledge our powerlessness. It's our only hope. 
Let me tell you a story of how uh, God brought this home for me personally um, a few years ago. Uh, as you know, I, like, if you've been with us for a while, you know I mention from time to time that I go to therapy, and I do that on purpose because I want to normalize it because we all need help. Um, I have the best counselor ever, and I've benefited so much from the experience. And I say that, I know this is true. I know not everyone has had a good experience with therapy. Therapy is not for everyone. Or maybe I would say it this way. Bad therapy is for no one, right? No one should have bad therapy. Good therapy just might be for everyone. Like, it just might be. The, the trick is this. You don't always know if it's good or bad therapy until you're in it for a little while, and then it's hurtful and it's awful. Um, but that's the trick, is finding good therapy. I have a good therapist. Now, I did not always think this about therapy. I didn't always think about it positively. And there was a time when I was like, nope, never. And I'll be honest, I, I had this thought, I didn't say it out loud, but I had this thought in my head. Uh, therapy is for weak people who can't figure out their own problems. That's what I thought. And I thought, I don't need that. I'm pretty smart. I know about entropy. Look at me. Look how smart I am. I can figure it out. All that changed in a moment 15 years ago. Um, I was at this uh, church conference for pastors at this big church in Texas, and I was excited to go there because uh, they, they had as a guest this guy who was, at the time, my favorite pastor and preacher. Um, and I'd read his books. I'd listened to his sermons a lot. I just respected him so much, respected how he thought, respected how he was a pastor. And he was given the big talk at this conference. And I remember just sitting there with my notebook, just taking notes, furiously writing down everything that he said so I could steal it. Um, and what I wasn't prepared for was there was this moment in that talk that forever changed the course of my life. Uh, he was talking about something that he had learned, something God had taught him. Um, and he said, this is what my therapist always tells me. And about half the room, room full of pastors, about half the room laughed out loud. And there was this moment, this incredibly awkward moment, where everyone realized he wasn't joking. And there was this incredibly awkward moment, and I was close enough to see his face, where he realized that they were laughing at the idea that he went to therapy. I didn't laugh, but I just, it was so awkward. And he looked down for a long time, real long pause, and he looked up and he said, oh, I see. You all must have it so all together that you couldn't benefit from therapy. Well, I don't. That was all he said. And he just went on with his talk. Um, I don't think I took many notes after that. I, that was a moment for me. Because I realized this in that moment. Just how incredibly ugly it is when we as humans pretend we don't need help. Just ugly. And I also realized just how incredibly beautiful and honest and human in the best way it is when we stand confidently before one another and before God and say, I can't figure this out on my own. I need help. In that moment, I decided, hey, I, I don't know about this therapy thing, but I don't ever want to be one of those scoffers and laughers who are acting like they have it so together they don't need any help. Um, 
And I began to be a little bit more honest and realize, hey, as smart as I am, maybe I got a few issues I need to work on. Um, and that led me eventually to, to therapy in a lot of different forms. Now, therapy is just one way to do this. But you know what I still believe about therapy? I, I still think the same thing about it. Therapy is for weak people who cannot figure out their own problems. Make no mistake, that's why I go. That is 100% why I go. I am one of those weak people who cannot figure out my own problems. And there's something about the, the, the vehicle of therapy, which is just one way to connect to this, but there's something about that for me that helps me connect to what Jesus said on the cross. I needed to finish it for you. You were powerless. You needed help desperately. You weren't ever going to figure it out. Not just in the eternal sense, but in the daily sense. And whether it's therapy or something else, there, that is humanity. That is beautiful to admit help is needed. Here's what I want you to hear today. When Jesus said, it is finished, he was making a statement about your ability to overcome your own problems. There's no other way to interpret that word. That's what he was saying. You were powerless you were hopeless without his help. He didn't go to the cross because you needed a little help. He went to the cross because you needed total help. He was saying you never could figure it out on, his own, on your own. The gospel of God's grace is awesome. The, his mercy is amazing. But it also is an admission of personal weakness. Not just the eternal sense, but weakness in the daily sense that we daily need help from a Savior. So now we're left with a choice. We can stand with the scoffers and the laughers pretending they can handle it on their own. Or we can declare that we are weak and we are unable to solve our own problems without miraculous, merciful intervention from God himself. There's no middle ground. Taleo. Let me apply it this way. People who understand the grace of the cross are able to humbly ask for help outside themselves because the cross has so changed their lives. They're through pretending they can handle it on their own because they went to the cross. They've looked at the end. They, they realize just like the universe that it left to, them, to themselves, their life is going to end in the spiritual entropy of death. So let me ask you a concrete question, and this is one you don't have to answer it right now, but I want you to answer it. Maybe tomorrow, sit down and answer this question. How do you need to seek spiritual How do you need to acknowledge your powerlessness right now? Today is Palm Sunday, right? Uh, I loved seeing the kids up here. It was very cute and adorable. And uh, it represents the moment when Jesus, 
on a donkey, rode into Jerusalem, and all of the people were shouting Hosanna and waving palm branches. Now, you may or may not know this, but that was a custom that started about 150 years earlier when the Maccabees uh, fought the Syrian tyrant Antiochus, and they kicked him out of Jerusalem, and they cleansed the temple, and they waved their palm branches, and they shouted Hosanna, which means save us, or, or kind of save us from our enemy is the implication. So Jesus riding into town, people have been talking about him, people know who he is, he's something, and they pick up those palm branches and they shout that same word and they're saying to him again, hey, somebody did this for us a few hundred years ago, save us again from our national enemies. And that is why the Hosannas of Sunday turned into the crucify him of Good Friday is because when it became clear to them that he wasn't going to kick everybody out and give them back their nation like they wanted, they had no more use for him, and so they threw him to the side and they crucified him. I think there's a powerful lesson in Palm Sunday for us, and it's just simply this. Jesus isn't here to help you with your enemy. Jesus is here to inform you that you are your own worst enemy. That's what teleo means. He finished it for you. That we desperately needed it to be finished by him. That is the help and the salvation that he offers. This help and salvation that comes from acknowledging our need for it, our powerlessness. He came to finish it for us because we couldn't escape it on our own. And there's only these two places to stand with Jesus. We can stand with the crowds of Palm Sunday who had their life figured out and just needed Jesus to do this one thing to help them in their plan. Or we can run to the foot of the cross. We can admit that we're powerless. And it's hard because at the foot of the cross, we have to say, I can't deal with the sin. I can't have good relationships. I can't find purpose and meaning in my life. I can't even escape death without your help, God. And that's humbling. But also at the foot of the cross is abundant mercy and grace. There's just no room for boasting there. There's no room for thinking it's of ourselves at the foot of the cross. You know, that cross is a one-time decision for us, for sure, where we pray, we ask God uh, for the forgiveness of our sins. We put our faith in what Jesus accomplished there. But here's what I'm here to tell you. It is also a daily decision to live with the cross in our life by acknowledging we need help and grace every day to live as if we cannot handle it on our own. That's how we embrace the cross. It was finished for us. It was not finished with us. And my prayer for all of us is that we'd wake up tomorrow with this awareness that we can't do it. We're powerless and we need help. So God, we come to you, the source of help, the source of mercy and grace from outside of this system we're trapped in. And we acknowledge, Lord, we are desperate and we are helpless and we are powerless. Lord, I pray for each of us that we would have the courage to sit in front of another human who bears your image and say, I can't figure this thing out. Would you help me? 
God, thank you for showing up. Thank you for finishing it in a way that we never could. And thank you for giving it to us as a gift. We love you, Lord, and we need your help. Amen.